Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, The Loud and Proud Edition. I'm your host, Sarah O'Donnell, happily sounding much more like myself this week. And with me in the newsroom studio for our weekly conversation about Alberta politics, our provincial affairs columnist, Graham Thompson. Hello. Legislature reporter, Miriam Ibrahim. Hi, Sarah. And columnist, Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. We want to devote most of our time to a couple of different but related human rights discussions. These have been taking place in regards to the rights of Alberta's LGBTQ community, as well as the rights people have to their religious beliefs. We should start with the discussion that the progressive conservative government had today within caucus, and Graham and Miriam, you reported on that. Miriam, could you summarize why the PC caucus is once again talking about the rights of gay and transgendered Albertans? Absolutely. Um, so for two years now, the uh, province's LGBTQ community has been lobbying the Alberta government for changes to a few key pieces of legislation, one of them being the Marriage Act, which... Um, includes in it a preamble that refers to marriage as an institution between a man and a woman, uh, an institution that which from time immemorial has been the uh, basically the foundation of civilization and progress. Um, And so that, I think, for obvious reasons, is uh, considered pretty offensive by members of the LGBTQ community. So they were lobbying um, the government to, to to change that preamble, to essentially remove it and uh, also remove from within that uh, specific act a definition that really explicitly defines marriage as a union between a man and a woman. And so what they wanted was all of those types of references removed and replaced with more gender neutral um, language that would bring Alberta so in line with the rest of Canada and with uh, changes to federal legislation that have that has existed since 2005. So, Graham, why is this coming up now, and, and what did they do today? Well, first things first, what, the reason why it's up now, a couple of reasons on that. As Miriam pointed out, um, members of the lesbian and gay community have been pushing the government now for more than two years, saying, look, the federal law was changed back in 2005 to allow same-sex marriage, but this, the preamble in Alberta still reflected the old, um, you know, the, the definition of a man and woman being married. So they were saying they're pushing the government, and the government keeps saying, yes, we will change the preamble, we'll scrap it, and nothing actually got done. It was always next time, next time. Also, behind the scenes what was happening, the more progressive members of the PC caucus thought, they got to do this now because they're going into a leadership race coming up. And the, the fear was that they, it'll get lost, the session will end, there'll be a new leader, this may not actually get done for a long time. So you had the two forces inside caucus, the progressive members of the PC caucus were saying, let's get this done now. Outside of caucus, there was pressure from the lesbian and gay community saying, you've got to do it now. So they put pressure on the government internally and externally to actually change, scrap the preamble. That's why it was brought up today. And what happened today uh, in caucus, they met, and we were told there could be a big internal fight over this, but it became public in the paper this morning. They're going to vote on this, and they voted on it relatively quickly, a matter of within half an hour. They said, yes, we will change the law. We'll bring in an amendment in the spring sitting to scrap the preamble to the Marriage Act. And we should also add, uh, I forgot to mention, that it's not just the Marriage Act that is under scrutiny here. It's also the Vital Statistics Act. Um, and, and the issue as it relates to transgender people in the province and their ability to apply for changes to the birth certificate, the way th- what their birth certificate describes their gender as. Currently, the, the way the legislation uh, lays it out, it, it says that 
someone has to prove that they're undergoing gender reassignment surgery in order to have that change made. And also there's, you know, there's other hoops you have to jump through. You have to have a sworn affidavit from a medical doctor saying that, yes, this is actually happening. What we heard from Hancock today is that caucus also approved um, uh, amendments to be brought forward to that bill to either make it um, easier for transgender people in this province to apply for that change or to simply scrap including gender on birth certificates at all. As he said, and as others have said, it's uh, it's increasingly becoming um, clear that gender is not a reliable identifier. Um, and so uh, it seems that the movement there is to, to perhaps just take that off of birth certificates altogether and, and make it not an issue for anyone. Paula, what do you think of these two pieces of news? I was really terrified that you, Graham and Miriam, would come to us and say, yeah, caucus wouldn't do it. They wouldn't make these changes. But I guess I'm showing my bias to say that I am really happy to hear this piece of news. But that's my opinion. Paula, what do you think? Well, I think the other factor, when you ask Graham, why is this happening now? Here's the other reason this is happening now. It's because Danielle Smith hasn't exactly undergone a sex change. She's undergone a public policy change. And two years ago, it's exactly two years ago this week, that Danielle Smith came to our editorial board and defended her candidate, Alan Huntsberger, who wanted, you know, to say homosexuals go all into the lake of fire. And Huntsberger had written a blog post saying that the Edmonton Public School Board was wicked and evil for trying to protect the rights of gay students and staff. Two years on, the very new and, I must say, much improved Danielle Smith is out there advocating for queer rights. She's out there saying that, you know, we must do something to protect students from being expelled for being gay. We must do something to protect uh, teachers from being fired for being gay. She today was on Twitter saying she supports these changes to the Marriage Act and they're all overdue. So, you know, the Tories had a problem. This preamble is a relic of a culture war that goes back to 1999 and 2000 when Ralph Klein was premier and he had a big right-wing rump in his caucus who insisted on this language going in, even though Dave Hancock, who was justice minister at the time, told them that this is asinine and that marriage is not a provincial responsibility and that putting in this language means nothing. Do you get a sense, Graham or Miriam, that any progressive conservatives member members of caucus actually argued against this change to the marriage act preamble and the definitions I think it's safe to say that uh, there would have been members of caucus who voted against it um, when I spoke to Sandra Jansen who brought these uh, amendments to caucus for their consideration um, uh, yesterday she she said she couldn't guarantee that 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 caucus would give it the green light. So clearly there was some concern over over how, over which way the decision would come. Um, but when she came out of caucus today and talked to me, she did say that she was impressed with the uh, respectful and um, uh, sort of tolerant discussion that they had, using sort of that quoted language to suggest that there had been some disagreement, but that it was all in a very respectful way. But think how far we've come. I mean, Graham and I have been doing this for a long time. Hey. I mean, we were <laughs> Graham's been doing it even longer than I have, but we remember... Oh, we, the knife. But we remember the days when the Delwyn Vreen decision came out and this government, uh, I mean the Klein government, came right up to the line of invoking the notwithstanding clause to say that they would not allow equality for gay and lesbian Albertans. You know, Stockwell Day, who was a minister at the time, I mean, this newspaper um, ran an editorial at the time with the phone numbers of all the cabinet ministers, senior cabinet ministers, and our editor of the day, Murdoch Davis, implored readers to phone to tell them that we would not accept the idea that we would invoke the notwithstanding clause to strip equality rights from gay and lesbian Albertans. 
That is not all that long ago. That is 16 years ago. So the fact that the discourse in this province has moved to the point where the right-wing opposition party is advocating for gay rights in 16 years, we have seen such an extraordinary evolution in our political culture. And this preamble was this old fossilized relic of an ugly day that we should be happy to see behind us. The government did, though, uh, during the Sochi Winter Olympics, they were flying the pride flag on the grounds. So why were they quicker to do that than they were to make this change? Well, the thing is, it's a question we've been asking them for, for some time as to why they don't change the, the act. We're told internally there was a lot of pushback from more conservative PC members who didn't who weren't keen on this change. And Paula's right, there's been a cultural change now in this province. And I think what happened today, the fact we had this in the front page of the paper, put pressure on the government. There's no way they could delay this anymore. In fact, there's no way they could really have a fight in caucus over this anymore. You go back even last week, that motion 503 from the Liberals, uh, Kent Harris motion to um, support students who want to bring in gay um, and straight alliances in schools. Well, it was defeated by the PCs and the Wild Rose. And the thing is, they both realized how bad they looked, I think, on that as well. I mean, Danielle Smith spent a, an evening this week meeting with Gay Straight Alliance kids from across the city. Chris Wells from the uh, University of Alberta invited her, and she told me very proudly this week, you know, how great that was and how she thinks we need more gay and out gay and lesbian members in the legislature to advocate for those views. And I sort of, you know, hold the phone away from my head and go, who are you? And, you know, and when did this happen? But I think, you know, that election in 2012, the blowback on the Lake of Fire was a huge wake-up call for that party that Albertans had changed. And I think, you know, it's the Tories who made this change in caucus today, but in a way, the Wild Rose gave them the social license to do so. Because, you know, Dave Hancock can now go to his caucus and say, yo, dinosaurs, you know, get you know, get out of the tar pits. Yes, and and, and stay out of the lake of fire. (laughs) So how, if at all, is this discussion connected to another issue that came up in the legislature this week that was related to faith-based schools? Paula, maybe you can lay that groundwork for us. Well, this started on the weekend when the Calgary Herald had a story about two faith-based schools in southern Alberta, in the outside of Calgary. Um, these are schools that were Christian evangelical schools, formerly private schools, which have affiliated with the public board. And that's been the practice in Edmonton for, for a long time now, where you see formerly private schools who come under the umbrella of the public school, so frankly that they can get better funding. And those two schools still had in their employment contracts and on their books, language that said that if you engaged in homosexual behavior, you could be fired as a teacher or expelled as a student. So the Calgary Herald wrote an expose about how much government money these schools were getting, and Jeff Johnson, the education minister, said he would uh, instruct his department to do an analysis of all of the contracts of such schools that are affiliated with public school boards. Now, in Edmonton, that's not going to be a huge issue because the Edmonton Public School Board has been very progressive and proactive in bringing in language to protect queer students. And that language also applies to schools like Meadowlark Christian or Tomatora, religious schools that are affiliated with the Public School Board. But here's what Jeff Johnson didn't do. He didn't say that his staff was going to look at charter schools nor are they going to look at private schools, which get very generous funding from the province, up to 70% of the per-pupil grant. And most especially, they will not be looking at Catholic schools. I pulled the language of the Edmonton Catholic School Board contract. 
it's not quite as black and white as the language of those Christian private schools from southern Alberta, but it's pretty clear that if you don't have a Catholic lifestyle, you can lose your job with the Catholic school board. And when you ask, how come that double standard? How come Jeff Johnson is going to change the rules for evangelical Christian schools and not for Catholic schools? There is a simple and black and white answer, which is that Catholic schools enjoy a constitutional protection that dates back to the foundation of this province to run a separate school system on Catholic values. And I think that that is going to be the next big fight. We saw it with Bill 5, with um with the Kent Harris 503 motion, and we're seeing it even more starkly now. Uh, no government, I don't think, has the, the uh, intestinal fortitude to face down the issue of a constitutional amendment, which I think is what might legally be required to compel Catholic schools to also offer equality to gay staff and students. And that's not going to happen. It means open, opening up the Constitution, no one wants to do that. That's the problem, is that it means changing the Constitution. And uh, that's not going to happen. So how's this playing in the legislature, Miriam, among the other parties, this issue of the faith-based schools? Were they satisfied with what they heard from Minister Johnson? Uh, I think in a word, no. Uh, (laughs) That will surprise nobody, I guess. The opposition isn't usually satisfied with the answers that they get in question period. Um, You know, I I think it's it's obviously going to remain an issue. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, if we hear more stories like this come out and and whether that puts more pressure on Jeff Johnson to to go further, as Paula was talking about. But like Graham says, it becomes an issue of the Constitution, and I think a lot of people struggle with how to um, negotiate that. Is it just teachers who are affected by the language uh, that these schools have, or is it children as well? Are they being uh, are there being requirements imposed on them that would violate some of our senses of human rights? Well, certainly the schools that, that the Calgary Herald wrote about, um, in th- one's in Three Hills and one's affiliated with uh, the Palliser Board, they had language that said that students were not allowed to engage in this conduct. Uh, and Jeff Johnson has asked that that language be reviewed. For the Catholic schools, certainly, I mean, I can say from personal experience, my daughter is attending Catholic school, high school in Edmonton. She has a lot of out friends. Um, her gay and lesbian classmates are certainly much more supported by their school community than kids were when I was in high school. So she was quite shocked when I told her this because she said, you know, at our school, uh, we're told all the time to, you know, to fight for for the rights of people. And I said, well, you better read this column because your teachers don't get that kind of support. And I think, though, that this isn't just an employment issue. If you're a kid in high school and you're confronting questions about your sexuality for the first time and you're in an environment where the teachers are afraid to be out, and I do think probably in Edmonton Catholic we're more... We're not really talking about people getting fired holus bolus. We're talking about a more discreet don't ask, don't tell, you know, don't don't bring it into the classroom and it won't come up. But what message does that send to impressionable junior high and high school students if the subtle and not so subtle message they get from their classroom leaders is that being gay is something to be ashamed of, something that you have to hide in order to protect your your job, in order to protect your self-worth. So I think the consequences for children and, and for teenagers are, are very real, but more subtle. So politically speaking, crass question, I'll ask it anyways, who has the most to win from these issues, Graham? And does anybody end up with a grenade? Well, they're all trying to toss this one back uh, to each other. You've got the government was actually hoping, getting back to our original uh, marriage uh, act, there was that sense in the government 
if we can pass this without any real problem in caucus, we'll throw this grenade back at the wild rose and see how they handle it. And uh, today, um, we've talked about this, uh, the, the leader, um, Daniel Smith, said, no, I have no problem with this at all. Um, let, let's change the law. Uh, it's time we did this. Now, mind you, it's a very short news conference. Not a lot of questions, uh, time for questions. And um, one reporter brought up the lake of fire, um, you know, the, the, um, the black eye they got two years ago. And uh, she more or less says, look, the law needs to be changed. We'll change the law. And that's it. Boom, they're gone. So you get the wild rose. Uh, Paula's right that they're, they're trying to be a lot more moderate, not just on this on many different issues. Today, I got way off topic here, today the Wild Rose actually supported the AUPE on pensions, on the public sector pensions. <laughs> you get the government attacking public sector pensions, and for a long time, Wild Rose has been saying, you know, uh, they haven't been the greatest friends of unionized workers. I could say that. An understatement, yes. Um, and they came out today and said, look, the government needs to, to, to talk to AUP and negotiate any sort of changes with the AUPE. I know my and went my further family. and said that if, if if elected into government in 2016, that they would repeal Bill 9, but not only that, the pension bill, um, 45 and 46 as well. I think if you read that statement, um, stripped of all references to the Wild Rose, you'd probably guess that it came from the NDP. <laughs> now, my, my favorite moment on Twitter today was when the fellow from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and Rob Anderson of the Wild Rose were having an argument about pension reform in which Rob Anderson was arguing passionately in favor of public sector pensions and, and the uh, and the fellow from the you know Canadian Taxpayers Federation. It was quite surreal. But I mean, to come back to your, to your point, the marriage, changing the preamble to the Marriage Act is easy dealing with the question of faith-based schools is much more difficult because our Constitution also provides adamant protection for people of faith. I mean, we can't just say, your religions are wrong to teach that homosexuality is a sin, so you must no longer teach your children that homosexuality is a sin. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms very clearly gives parents the right to teach children their religious faith, and it's not the role of the state to impose a new orthodoxy that says you must now all teach children that homosexuality is not a sin. The more difficult question is, is the government morally, legally, ethically required to fund religious schools that teach children that homosexuality is wrong? That is a much more difficult question. So what's next for this legislation? What, what happens next? Well, in terms of the amendments that caucus debated today, um, um, we just came from a news conference actually with Premier Hancock and he seemed pretty uh, certain that um, these amendments will be brought before the legislature during this spring session, which means within the next two weeks. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I expect we'll see some debate on that. I'll be interested to see what we hear from members of the Wild Rose Caucus, because Danielle Smith was careful to say that, of course, she hasn't seen the, the amendments and that she'd like to support them. But, you know, she couched it in that that fact that she hasn't seen them yet, which is fair enough. Uh, but I'd be interested to see uh, what they have to say. Yes. And she's also saying that she's going to encourage her MLAs to vote. But she's very, you know, she's very adamant that she doesn't whip votes. So, you know, it's <laughs> at least not publicly, not publicly. Yes. No. I mean, when your leader says on Twitter, I'm going to really recommend that my MLAs vote for something. Yeah. I think the MLAs generally vote for something. But, you know, there might be someone in the Wild Rose who's just going to say to her, no, can't do it. Yeah. And they'll be talked to beforehand. Um, there's no way they want this blowing up. Speaking of grenades in the legislature. We don't want to blow up our own show without going to good stuff from the gallery. So let's quickly move to that. 
Of course, Good Stuff from the Gallery is our weekly segment where we share a piece of reading, viewing, or listening that we think other politically inclined people might enjoy. Um, Graham, do you want to start that for us? Yeah, I'm glad to. Uh, you and I discussed this before um, when on, on this podcast. Um, a new TV show called The Years of Living Dangerously on the Showtime channel is James Cameron's take on climate change. Oh, what a surprise. A climate change recommendation from Graham oh, Thompson. thank you for <laughs> walking me into that one. <laughs> No, that sounds great. That's a really good recommendation. I watched the first hour of it because I am interested to see what James Cameron is going to be showing to the world about climate change. And I have expected Fort McMurray to show up in the first episode. I guess it runs like 10, time. 10 episodes. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know how many of them they'll actually post online, but they did post the first one on YouTube. Harrison Ford's in it. So I like that. <laughs> Miriam, what have you got for us? I have an article I just read the other day, I think yesterday in the New York Times. It was a... Uh, really really interesting it's called um when liking a brand online voids the right to sue and it's um and it talks about um this movement by big uh corporations uh specifically it talks about general mills and their move uh to change their terms of service on their facebook page on their uh you know any sort of social media network that they engage consumers on um you know and then it's a changing to the to the wording of this uh terms of service that says if you've liked us or if you've interacted with us in any sort of way online if you've joined our facebook community you are giving up your right to sue us um you know if 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 there's a nail in your cereal, you know, whatever. Um, and instead, um, it forces one-on-one arbitration between the corporation and the consumer. It's exceedingly interesting, of course. Um, it's wow. by Stephanie Strom. It was in the New York Times yesterday, April 16th. Uh, highly, highly recommended. It's a, it's a really interesting question. And actually, it even goes further. It talks about some companies that, um, are, attempt- that are attempting to... Um, impose these terms of service on consumers who even just purchase an item from a from a corporation so even by purchasing for example a box of cereal um, and of course that raises all sorts of issues because food is something that can cause serious illness or injury to somebody um, by no by no fault of their own you know what if there's an allergen that's in a food that isn't appropriately labeled on the box it raises all sorts of uh, interesting questions yeah, so listeria wow. yeah. it's like Rumpelstiltskin are they going to come and take your firstborn yeah, child it, it's it's as I say, so, so interesting to me. Uh, so that's my political read recommendation for this week. I think it obviously it raises all sorts of legal and ethical questions. Uh, so read we're it. All, we're Let all me know sitting what here think. with our mouths yes. open. Yes. That's right. I think anybody who likes me or follows me on Twitter can then be in, you know, they can never sue me if I libel them. What a... What a concept! What a model! Uh oh, we, we've model created. Well, and I mean, this is and this is you know in the land of the America, uh, the United yeah. States, where a corporation can be a person. That's under the right. Law, right. Although so, I th- fear we've created a monster here. With <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, I think okay. I want to recommend a show that I've been watching on Netflix. It comes from the world of pop culture, but I think it will be right up the alley of people who enjoy House of Cards with its combination of politics, muckraking journalists, and behind-the-scenes power players. The show is called Boss. And it ran for two seasons on the Stars Network, which is perhaps why I never heard of it until it showed up in Netflix. So Boss is a story of Tom Kane, who's a ruthless and longtime Chicago mayor trying to hold on to power as he deals with personal and political challenge. The, the main player, Tom Kane, is played by Kelsey Grammer of Frasier fame. 
And I know Chicago has a reputation for rough and tumble politics, but this is really something to watch. And I can only hope that it is mostly fiction. Um, The show was canceled after two seasons, but I really enjoyed season one, which is all I've seen so far. And it's worth noting that Grammer won a 2012 Golden Globe for this, his portrayal of this character. This character we've never heard of before. (laughs) If you turn this on expecting to see Frasier, you will be in for a shock. Paula, what shocking good stuff do you have? Well, I haven't. It's really interesting. This is an article from The New Yorker, which I read two years ago when it first ran in hard copy. But it was back on The New Yorker website today, and I started reading it, and I was reminded that I'd read this piece. But I think it is absolutely timely and essential reading for Canadians right now. It's called The Voter Fraud Myth. And it's a profile of Hans von Spakovsky, who's a Republican lawyer and lobbyist who started pushing in the United States years ago to tighten up regulations around voting, forcing people to show voter ID, controlling voters' lists. Does this sound vaguely familiar? Does this sound like the template for the Fair Elections Act? So if you want to understand the intellectual underpinnings and the ideological underpinnings of what the Harper government is trying to do with the Fair Elections Act, the voter fraud myth is an extraordinarily gripping read, and it talks about the way this false narrative, this completely erroneous idea that people are trying to influence elections by falsifying uh, who they are when they show up to vote. Um, it's It's a really, really good piece of critical journalism because it looks at all of these urban myths in the United States, all of these stories that got published about this person who tried to fraudulently vote in the, you know, this election that was fixed. And she deconstructs, uh, Janet Mayer, all of these incidents and shows that this is all mythic. I mean, this is the Republican urban myth that they have drummed up, and now it's been imported to Canada. It is a false logic. It is a false premise. And so I can't recommend highly enough that Canadians who want to know more about what is driving uh, the federal government's Fair Elections Act to give this a read. As I say, it's back right on front of the New Yorker website. A great piece to conclude this week's show. Thank you so much, Paula. Since it's a short week, I haven't had time to put the finishing touches on our musical political playlist, but I promise next week I will deliver and will also bring another reader good stuff from the gallery recommendation. I fear I'm beginning to take lessons from the politicians we cover with all these extensions that I'm asking for. I promise the bill will be next session. Uh, No. You can find our show on edmontonjournal.com on the opinion page. You can find previous episodes as well on our SoundCloud file. Just search... Edmonton Journal in the Press Gallery. And of course, all previous shows live on iTunes. And we appreciate your support. And please, we haven't had any uh, updated recommendations or reviews in a while. We'd love to see that bumped up again. You can talk to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the press gallery. And we will be back next week. <laughs>